Jesus, you are the good shepherd. And at these times, especially these times, we need to be shepherded. So would you draw near now by your Holy Spirit to comfort, to lead, to guide. We love you, we need you, we bless you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Grace Brown lived a full life, did she not? As one friend put it, quoting Thoreau, she lived deep and sucked out all the marrow of life. Whether you knew her for a short time or for many years, her vivaciousness, her energy, her wit, her bluntness at times, her sincere love would have made an impression on you. Born in Canada to a pastor and his wife, Grace then grew up in Charlotte. But her adventures took her all over the world. With her husband, Joe, she lived throughout the U.S. as well as India, Switzerland, and Germany. She enjoyed travel and pilgrimage. She walked the Camino de Santiago, or portion of it, and the Canterbury Trail, among others. She loved the arts. She loved books. She liked selling books, and she had a business doing just that. But I think Grace's real passion was people. She was an extrovert to the max, something I witnessed clearly in the last month of her life. Many people, when they feel bad, just want to be left alone, but not Grace. That was the last thing she wanted. Even when she was very tired and weak, she continued to have many visitors right to the end. Unlike anyone I've ever known, Grace had a way of making so many people feel cherished and loved because they were to her. She had friends all over the world, and those friends were like family. Grace had a passion for investing in the next generation. Psalm 145 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Grace lived this with her children, with her grandchildren, in the ministries that she helped shape with Joe, like InterVarsity and Labrie, in the churches and schools and seminaries where they served. Grace was a mentor to many, but she did it in a very humbling and unassuming way. One friend spoke about studying Ephesians together with Grace and said that she never came across as an expert. She simply took God's word at face value and thoughtfully prayed that she would live it through her own life. She always spoke with an intention to edify, encourage, or inform. Not that long ago, Grace shared with me an experience from her life that probably happened five or six years ago. She was mentoring a young girl in our church, and they were reading a book together. And Grace said to me that through reading that book and through that experience, she had a moment that changed her life. God convicted her about something and produced the fruit of repentance in her heart, and it brought incredible peace. And I thought to myself, here you are, a seasoned saint in your 70s, discipling others, and yet you're experiencing life-changing moments, because that's who Grace was. A disciple in the truest sense, a learner, always learning from Jesus. Grace was a great encouragement to me as a pastor. 
Here I had to preach to the woman whose husband had written the book on heresy. Surely, if my sermons weren't theologically sound, she would be lining up at the door to let me know. Well, she was an engaged listener, and she gave me feedback, but her intention was always to build up. And she has helped me grow up as a pastor through her wisdom and her love and her patience, and I will miss her very dearly for that. Grace's care for the next generation didn't stop with young women or seminarians or pastors. It extended all the way to the very youngest ones among us, the unborn. She served faithfully with Joe to promote and protect life at its earliest stages, first with CareNet and then with the Pregnancy Resource Center, carrying out this mission to care not only for the unborn, but for their mothers and for their fathers as well with the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. I've only begun to scratch the surface about grace. Many of you have stories about the full life that she lived and the impact she made on so many. But grace didn't just live a full life. She knew life to the full. She knew life abundantly because she knew the one who gave that life. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, after describing himself as the good shepherd, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, if we were able to peer into the heart of Grace Brown, to try to understand what motivated her, what gave her her boundless energy to love friends and family, to invest in the next generation, to go on all these trips. We would see the abundant life of the good shepherd living in her. What we loved about grace, whether we knew it or not, was the life of Jesus shining through her giving life to us. But grace didn't think she was special. Grace knew that it was only by grace that Jesus had given her this abundant life. To understand the life that came to grace and through grace, we must understand the good shepherd and what he did. Also in John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. How did grace receive this life? How might we experience it as well? Because of the good shepherd, who in the great paradox of history became a sheep. And he laid his life down on a Roman cross and he shed his blood so that all of us, like sheep who had gone horribly astray, could be brought home again to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, to know the abundant life of the good shepherd, both in this life and even more in the life to come. Grace and I were talking about this service. She wanted people to know that she saw herself covered in the blood of Christ. That's where she found her assurance. Grace had many good deeds. She was a wonderful person. She lived a full life, but that wouldn't save her, and she knew it. Only the good shepherd can give real and abundant life. Only the good shepherd can forgive. Only the good shepherd can deliver from the thief who steals, kills, and destroys life. 
And Grace knew this deliverance personally. She rejoiced in it. And all the more so as she drew close to home. She captured her hope and her assurance in the words of this hymn that we'll sing in a few moments. Bold shall I stand in thy great day. For who ought to my charge shall lay? Fully absolved through these I am. From sin and fear. From guilt and shame. Grace wanted everyone in her life to know about the abundant life of the good shepherd. And she had a way of sharing it with people without being rude or brash. And even if you didn't accept it, even if you didn't share her faith, she went right on loving you. At the end of her life, she got to witness some of those close to her draw closer to the good shepherd and it delighted her. And as we talked about, why is the Lord giving you this extra time? Why is he keeping you alive? And those were one of the reasons we pointed to so that you could witness this. Friends, if I could make another appeal on her behalf and on behalf of the good shepherd, come and find life. Come and find abundant life. If you don't know this good shepherd, if you don't know the life that he gives, the life that grace is enjoying now, you can be delivered from the thief. You can know that life. You can be set free from fear and shame and guilt. Just call out his name, Jesus, and he will do the rest. He will come and he will rescue you and he will give you life. I think the greatest evidence of the life of Christ that was in grace was how it shone brighter as she approached her death. She really didn't have any fear because of the assurance of Christ's blood. In her bluntness, she quipped to a friend, I have a disease that's killing me, but it doesn't really bother me. (laughs) Because she knew that to live was Christ and to die was truly, truly gain. But she did have a trial in the last six months of her life, and it was waiting. She didn't know when she was going to die. Sometimes a nurse would suggest it might only be a couple more weeks, but then weeks would turn into months. She wanted to go home. She wanted to be with Jesus, but she had to wait. On the day before she died, I came to her house to bring communion. Not surprisingly, a group of friends had gathered And we went into her room and we gathered around her bed and we celebrated the Lord's Supper for her last time on earth before she's really enjoying the feast now. They had placed her hospital bed in the corner of the room just next to a window. In the afternoon light, I remember it it poured in and it shone on her snow white hair like a crown. That is my last image of grace. And it's a fitting one. Because the Lord has indeed crowned her with love and compassion and glory in his son, Jesus. Well, that afternoon, she was very, very weak, but she was awake. She was very much herself. She was lying there in peace, enjoying the presence of these friends, waiting to go home. And I read to her this passage that was read a moment ago from Romans 8. The passage about groaning and waiting. Because that had been our prayer for grace, that the Lord would sustain her in the waiting, that he would give her patience. Well, she didn't have to wait too long after that. The very next evening, 
the Lord took her home. And she is now enjoying life upon life upon life. Grace is okay. She is more than okay. But we are still here. And as much as we celebrate her new life, our life is more empty now that she is gone. I remember just driving around on the last couple of days and there was just that, that, that sense of grief that you get when you, you can't quite understand, is that person really gone? And, and how can life go on? That life of Jesus that uniquely shone through her, we cannot access it anymore except by stories and memories. We are left behind to mourn and to groan. But not only at Grace's passing, we also groan with longing to be set free ourselves, to be set free from sin and death, from sickness and grief, and to be set free from the curse. We long to experience the freedom of the glory of the children of God that Grace has now tasted. Friends, as we wait and as we groan, the Lord has given us two things to sustain us. First, he's given us hope. A hope that Paul defines in Romans 8 verse 23 as the redemption of our bodies. Bodily resurrection is our hope. And this sustains us in our waiting. We're not waiting for some vague experience of a better life. We're not waiting for some disembodied idea of heaven floating around on clouds. We're waiting for Christ to return, for the dead to be raised into these bodies, these glorious bodies, perfectly created to enjoy eternal fellowship with the triune God in this renewed, this transformed creation that's been liberated itself from its bondage to decay. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the Father to do for us what he did for his son Jesus, to raise us up from the dead into a new type of human life. Jesus didn't just come back from the dead, he went through death into new life, the same kind of life that will characterize our life, Grace's life in the new creation. We will be ourselves. We will recognize each other, I think, as people recognize Jesus. And yet sometimes they didn't recognize Jesus. And he was also very different. That's our hope, friends. Resurrection. It's coming. We don't possess it yet, but it is a hope powerful enough to sustain us in our waiting and groaning. The second thing the Father has given us as we wait and groan is the Spirit. In verse 26, Paul says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Do you feel weakness in your life? Do you feel your frailty? Do you feel the effects of sin? Do you feel vulnerable and afraid? Those are all the kind of things that death can bring up in us. But as weak as we are, the Spirit helps us. He helps us to know how to pray. We don't always know how to pray. We don't always have the strength to pray in the midst of waiting, but the Spirit teaches us. But even better than that, the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Did you know that, that he prays for us? And as he prays for us, do you know how he prays? He also groans. He groans too deep for words. And we don't know what he's praying. We don't know what he's saying. But we know that it is in accordance with the will of God. 
because he is the spirit of God. He prays according to the heart of the father and of the son. And so we may feel weighed down in these weeks, in these months and years to come, especially if we were close to grace, especially for you, her family, Peter and Michelle, Natasha, Cindy, and all of your families. It's gonna be a hard season, but the spirit of God is praying for us. Even when we feel frail, he intercedes for us in our weakness. And so friends, grace is okay. Grace is celebrating. Grace is in a wonderful place full of grace. But as we wait, as we groan for the shepherd to return for us, we do so with the hope of the resurrection and the help of the spirit praying for us. Let's pray together. And so, Jesus, it is those two things that we pray as we go out of here into life that you would anchor deep in our souls this hope of resurrection, this reality of the Spirit in us, groaning and praying as we wait for the redemption of our bodies. We thank you that it is by your blood that it's all possible. We bless you, we praise you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.